Hey guys, it's Erin, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Causes or Cures. Today, we're talking about antidepressants. This is a topic I'm really interested in personally. If you read my book, Manic Kingdom, or read any of my blogs, you'll know this already. And antidepressants have been in the news a lot lately because of this idea that antidepressant withdrawal lasts on average two weeks, and that in general, they're very effective medications for clinical depression. And a lot of doctors and stakeholders will support those two statements. My guest today is Dr. Michael Hengartner from Switzerland. He's a senior researcher and lecturer. You can find a lot of his publications on ResearchGate. His expertise includes psychiatric epidemiology, public mental health, psychosomatics, social psychiatry, and psychopathology. He is going to walk us through the evidence and challenge the statement that antidepressant withdrawal on average lasts up to two weeks. And also he's going to go over the evidence um, on antidepressant effectiveness. So let's start. So today we have Dr. Michael Hengartner from Switzerland. Right, I said that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I wanted I, for a minute. I was like, "Oh no, is it Sweden?" Um, Hello, really? I thought this is just a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, um, so we're going to talk about the antidepressants and the war on antidepressants. And I, first of all, I find your Twitter and what you write fascinating because it's always so intelligent and really makes you think. Um, but talking about this, the war on antidepressants, and that's what people are calling this, and there's significant publication dates that almost read like battles in a way. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, so I, if, if you want to talk a little, we could start there, um, and it has to do with antidepressant withdrawal, um, and this goes back to February of 2018, I believe. Yeah, it's some kind of a starting point, I would say. But, but actually, it, it started long before. But that... Okay, so like... I, when it became um, like a public issue again, yeah. <laughs> right, and then it sort of um, escalated over Twitter like every conflict does. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so that was... It, but there was a Times article that... Dr. Wendy Byrne and David Baldwin, and they're part of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, and they posted um, the vast majority of patients with any discontinuing symptoms resolves within two weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. And and this was in and then there was um, they had a survey up on their website apparently. That, yeah. yeah. And what did that survey say? Well, actually, it contradicted their own statement in the Times because they found that that uh, a majority of patients reported. Uh, I, I prefer to call it withdrawal symptoms because um, actually it's what it is, and discontinuation was just like more like an invention from the industry because they did not want that people. Tr- connect withdrawal from illicit drugs with, uh, with, with actually comparable reactions from prescription medicines. But in, in the end, it's actually the same. So I, I will call it withdrawal symptoms. And uh, yes, um, there were m- many, many, I would say, um, I, I don't have the, the figures now. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, by heart, you say, is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, but I thought it was a majority that reported, or, or at least a very 
substantial proportion reported uh, withdrawal symptoms lasting much, much longer than just these one or two weeks. So it was for uh, at least uh, um, more than a month or two months and, and even longer. Right, at least six weeks. And then they took that down after the the uh, article in the Times was published, which is suspicious. Um, yeah. <laughs> or makes you wonder. And then, and so then after that in September, um, two psychologists posted a systematic review um, saying, no, it actually, um, there's a lot more patients with withdrawal symptoms. And then in October, two psychiatrists responded, like basically tearing apart um, their critique. Um, and they went back and forth for a while. And then, um, and then in, in December, uh, two American psychiatrists published in the American Journal of Psychiatry, again, saying, no, it, it, for most patients, it lasts two weeks. So it's been going back and forth. And, and it, it just reminded me of like skirmishes and, and you know, with all the Twitter um, action in between. Um, so I guess what what is your opinion, like based on what you do, maybe talk a little bit about what you do and um, your opinion on this idea that withdrawal last only two weeks? Well, I have to say, actually, it all started, uh, my main research interest is not um, withdrawal, drug withdrawal reactions or that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm actually, I'm basically an epidemiologist and then I'm a um, public mental health expert. So um, I'm looking at all kinds of stuff that may uh, affect public mental health. So, of course, uh, antidepressant drugs with these increased prescription rates now uh, that we have today um, certainly are a factor in a, uh, we still don't know exactly how, but it certainly is a factor that affects a large part of the population. And um, so, and I also always had um, a lot of interest in, in you know, um, in the conduct and interpretation of, of research and um, like, science um how science works actually because right, it's right. not at all that objective and impartial that we would like it to be <laughs> so i always had a lot of interest in these kind of things uh, from different parts just science in general and then then um, this was a very interesting area because um i started to have a look at the literature and I saw that there's not so much literature around and the, the scientific evidence that was available, it was quite heterogeneous. Uh, so we had some studies that reported uh, very large amounts of uh, people that uh, who experienced withdrawal and also for very ex extended periods. And then on the other hand, you had a few mostly uh, industry-sponsored uh, trials that reported much lower, or not, not, need, not even that much, but uh, so a little bit lower rates. And then knowing that, that, that these trials are often flawed by design, I, I started to look um, closer at it. And, and th that's why it triggered my interest, this, this um, whole thing. Because I was surprised that the Royal College of Psychiatrists would make such a firm statement in the media when, in fact, the scientific literature is, is not conclusive at all. And that's when I started to, to get involved, actually, in the whole thing. 
Um, and withdrawal, a lot of people when they come off antidepressants, I think if they experience, they might experience um, symptoms or distress. And a, and a lot of people think, oh, this is my depression coming back. Right. Um, yeah. But I guess with withdrawal, and from what I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, a lot of people talk about brain zaps, tingling, um, yeah. dyskinesia, um, involuntary movements. Um, and the thing, what I found most fascinating when I read the uh, article that was published in December of 2018 in the American Journal of Psychiatry, um, the their evidence for saying withdrawal, antidepressant withdrawal lasts for more than two weeks, I'm sorry, for only two weeks usually, um, was based on two case reports and a cohort study. Is that right? Yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah. And that <laughs> was it. Yeah, it's 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 actually it's amazing because uh, there was such a huge tension and and, and literally Twitter wars and and, and also like like a, a really there was a professional battle. Yeah, it was like a battle because you had uh, like really these official officials uh, from 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 the most influential psychiatric organizations like the Royal College of Psychiatry and the American Journal of Psychiatry, who firmly state that no, actually there is no such thing or even or just in very, very rare cases. So for the vast majority or typically just this, this kind of discontinuation symptoms, that's the term they prefer. Um, Yes, they, they spontaneously resolve in, in one or two weeks and it's just mild a mild problem. And, and and on the other hand, you had these population surveys and, and you have um, internet uh, web pages like like surviving antidepressants with so many hundred thousands of hits, I think, each month. And and there are so many uh, accounts of, of very, very severe and long-lasting withdrawal that actually there has to it, the problem has to be much more serious than, than, than these officials want the public to believe. And, 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 and there are also surveys um, who ask the, the antidepressant users, and there are many of them who say that they feel addicted, they, they, they cannot quit or they cannot um, come off the drugs because um, these uh, withdrawal symptoms are so extreme that, that they prefer to go back on, on, on the drug because they can't stand it and they can't cope with these uh, reactions. So there's a divide, and, 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 and so it was quite peculiar that the American Psychiatric Association when it comes to how long does withdrawal last, that they cite, uh, they quoted two case reports and this very small naturalistic study with, uh, I think it was just about 20 people and the case report was with uh, one person and the other was with three. But the worst thing is, and they, 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 they said, uh, well, withdrawal typically lasts um, one or two weeks, or in the American Journal of Psychiatry, in this uh, paper, they, they said two or three weeks. Uh, but anyway, and then they quote these three studies, and if you have a look at these studies, so one case report, um, there was one uh, person, um, he had withdrawal reaction, I think it was for three weeks, so okay, you could say, okay, that's fine, that's one person. <laughs> um, and in the other case reports, there were three persons, and, and two of them had uh, 
uh, which dwell for several weeks, um, so much longer actually than the two or three weeks. And in the third naturalistic study with about 20 people, there was also a substantial portion of patients, um, I think it was about 30 or 40 percent, who had uh, withdrawals for several months. So that's quite interesting because two of the of the three references that they provide in this article in fact contradict their own statement that withdrawal is just a minor problem it resolves in two three weeks because the study they quote they they, they say uh, completely otherwise and, and and this was also the me uh, the message of of uh, actually of this comprehensive systematic review conducted by by um, James Davis and, and John Reed which try to summarize the, 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 the evidence that um, is available or the scientific literature and they found that in, in a lot in many many studies you, you see that uh, withdrawal reactions last much much longer uh, than these uh, one two or three weeks so actually it was completely arbitrary to say that um, it it spontaneously remits in just one or two weeks so actually that's wrong it's plainly wrong it's just wrong and and in the Royal College of um, Psychiatrists had that in their survey that at, I had the number here, 63% experience um, for, for up to six weeks. And then somehow that survey vanished from their website after, yeah, I, I don't know where it went, but. Um, <laughs> well, they said it was a coincidence because they wanted to remove it anyway. Yeah, well, well we, we take them by the words and we, we trust. It was a coincidence. It, it occurred in this way, but it's a, it's a strange coincidence anyway. It's, it, leaves you, it leaves one wondering. Um, yeah. And I think what's interesting, and I know a few people, and obviously there are anecdotes, I know that, but, you know, they've been uh, experiencing symptoms of withdrawal and after being uh, taken off antidepressants and they go around from doctor to doctor and doctors kind of shop them around to other doctors because no one really knows what to do about it. And yeah, right. that's when you mentioned these patient run websites, it's, it's entirely a grassroots effort to help people out. And I think you mentioned this on your Twitter and I've seen this myself, doctors, psychiatrists, psych they're going to these patient websites to try to understand this more well it was one uh, it was one specific uh, psychiatrist um, and then uh, it, 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 it's um, Horowitz his name uh, because they published now um, kind of um, analysis uh, in in the in, in the lens of psychiatry um, where they tried to to examine or to analyze how to withdraw safely from antidepressants when you've been on them from for, for a long time so um, because of course these this withdrawal reaction they they um, they increase in intensity and in frequency with uh, uh, it also depends on the type of drug on the half-life of the drugs and and in particular also the, the time you have been on the drug because it's it has to do with adaptations and uh, neurological uh, adaptations and in the brain right. and, and and these this takes some time to to um, develop so uh, if, if you've just been on the drugs for a few weeks it's it, it's 
it's rather rare that you experience um so so that would be a, a legitimate case to make that if you've been on the drugs just for eight weeks or for 12 weeks so it's rather seldom that you will experience uh, severe withdrawal uh, that's why the few trials that have been conducted and these were mostly the industry sponsored trials they examined withdrawal in patients that have been on the drugs only for a few weeks right. so because if you don't want to find the true or, or to go deeper into the, this true problem you 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 select a population or pay a sample where you can be quite sure that the incidence of the event that you are looking at that will be very low so that's why these trials actually they they are, in my view they are not representative at all because they 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 not representative of the time that the average uh, person or antidepressant uh, user is um, um, was on the drug so and it's so much is industry sponsored because they have the money to do the trials so it's hard to it's hard to know I suppose what the true number really is yeah but they're just very few trials I think that they, they, it's just about perhaps okay. 10. Or not, not that, not much more. So if you if 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 you compare this to the hundreds of trials that have been conducted to to detect uh, often minor drug placebo differences um, in efficacy, um, it's just um, it's embarrassing small number of trials that actually looked at these important safety issues eh? because it's not only one thing to demonstrate that uh, a drug may have some kind of efficacy it's also to you know, actually would it would be important to demonstrate that this drug is safe and you can also with uh, taper off this drug safely and without problems but there was there has not been uh, much interest in t into uh, in these important issues so that's why most research we have in these domains are large surveys of antidepressant users and the common right. objection to these surveys is oh because there, there's a selection bias and so of course there, there may be some selection bias but the, the, sure, the sure. The trials, they are also biased in a way because they just select uh, people that have been on the drugs for a very short time. So, yeah, in the end, we have to admit that there is not enough research. And the few studies that we have, they, they point into a direction that is quite alarming because it they show that, that the numbers are most likely much higher, in particular in long-term users, that the number of people who may experience severe withdrawal is, is quite substantial, not just a very small or minority. Um, let's just transition to effectiveness of antidepressants. I, I think I wrote you once on Twitter that it was always my understanding that antidepressants were effective in um, more severe cases of depression. And I think you you wrote me back said that's not actually true so what's your opinion on how effective they are yeah well the the whole question whether they are uh, it was long the, the perception or the, the the message put forward or submitted by by the uh, psychiatric associations was okay very effective drugs and um and it was also the picture that you have uh, skimming through the scientific literature, but then um, Kirsch, Irvine Kirsch, started um, publishing his um, 
analysis based on the FDA uh, data, which is actually quite a, a representative pool of studies because um, the FDA um, has full information about all trials conducted uh, for pre-marketing approval. So, um, and, and he showed that we just um, a lot of trials, they are not published. And uh, it's because these trials, uh, only trials with positive results were published. So if you consider that almost 50% of trials were negative and these were not published or often the results were spun uh, or selectively reported, you know, to, to make an impression that they were actually uh, positive. But if you look at all trials that have been conducted, the, the, the average efficacy was quite small. And then was this was at the beginning, um, his first analysis, I think it was in 1998, and he did another in 2002. And then was just this massive disbelief and all said, okay, this kind of analysis has to be biased or flawed or whatever. And um, he readdressed the issue in um, this issue in 2008, and then this, this very famous publication and published in PLOS Medicine. And there he had a look at the trial results, um, whether the drugs are more or less uh, effective um, in relation to baseline severity. And he found overall there was just very, very minor. Uh, difference between drug and placebo it was just about two points on the Hamilton depression scale, but uh, in this case, in the trials which included um, people with very severe depression, the, the effect was a little bit larger. So, so things. Well, sorry. So maybe a tiny bit. Yeah, a, a little bit larger. Yeah, and but the problem is that there was uh, not an individual patient data. They did not have the data for all individuals, including these trials. They did had the, just the summary results, and that's a very um, can be a very misleading uh, approach because uh, group differences often do not uh, compare very well to individual effects. And uh, in, in 2010, that was this very famous uh, paper by Fournier and colleagues. It was uh, published in the archives of general psychiatry. Now it's the JAMA psychiatry. And uh, there was a very small analysis. They just a few trials with uh, a total of just about 700 people. But it was an individual level meta-analysis. And in, these, in this paper, they found that for the vast majority of patients, the drugs were nearly ineffective, as almost zero difference um, between drug and placebo. But in 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 the in, the, in a rather small proportion of patients with very severe depression, there was a clear effect uh, that was uh, about seven points on the Hamilton depression scale, or even larger. And that was the study actually that was the beginning of this belief that in people with very severe depression, they are highly effective. But the problem is, this study is always cited and is still cited widely, this uh, small analysis from by Fournier et al. In, in the meantime, there were at least three or four replication studies, much, much larger with uh, thousands of individual patients, and they all disconfirmed, actually, this finding. They did not find an in, that uh, 
in people with very severe depression that their drugs were more effective than in uh, people with mild or moderate depression. So it was not confirmed, actually. And we are talking of, for instance, there's a one meta-analysis by Rabinovitz and colleagues. It was published, I think it was in 2004, no, 2016 in the British uh, Journal of Psychiatry. It was with almost 11,000 individual patient data. And there was no uh, no... Um, effect of baseline severity at all. So it was just about these two points difference between drug and placebo, and it, it didn't matter at all whether people had uh, minor, moderate, or severe depression. It was just about these two points difference, and that was really actually a quite compelling disconfirmation of this uh, belief that uh, the drugs are much more effective in people with uh, very severe depression. That's really incredible because it is, it's a common belief that you hear over and over again. Yeah, over and um, over. Uh, what would you say, I mean, obviously there are people uh, who say that they do better on the on the medication and their lives are better. Um, so how would, what would you say to that and, um, or what would you, what do you think a better alternative treatment plan is if someone comes in and presents with symptoms or depression? Well, first of all, I, I prefer not to give, uh, I don't give um, clinical advice or um, treatment yeah. recommendations because it's each, each patient and each problem or depression is, is different. And um, I think I'm not entitled to make recommendations. What, what, that's also, I always explain this on Twitter when, when people, some people they 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 get quite aggressive and they say, <laughs> what, "What is this all about?" And you're not allowed to. And I always said, "I never make recommendations. I I just the only thing that I do is I, I provide a critical synthesis or a review of the literature, and I never said don't use these drugs, stop right. it, and, or or it's uh, uh, you shouldn't do that or whatever. Never, never. You you." wouldn't find one single tweet where I give such a recommendation and then I don't give recommendation in my scientific papers either. I, I'm just stating what my reading of the literature is and that this difference is quite small and I think that's the message uh, you should you should patients should be uh, um, allowed to, to give full informed consent. Right. Into a treatment. And if you say, oh, that's a highly effective drug, actually, basically you're lying to the patients because the scientific data do not say that these drugs are highly effective. There could be highly, they could be highly effective for some, undeniably. There are some that I think they, they, they have a huge benefits from the drug, so I, I, I admit it clearly. Uh, but then there are also a few who, who, who uh, they degenerate. You say degenerate? have a worse yes. outcome yeah, uh, due to the drug. So a worsening of depression due to the drug. So that's why on average, there, the, because we, we are dealing here with, with uh, average uh, so there, mean treatment effects. The, and if you're a little bit familiar with statistics, you know there's a distribution and then yes. and, and mean, it's like mean height. If I say the mean height of, a, of I don't know, a European man is um, one meter and 80. Oh, no, probably you don't understand that in the States. Huh? You have, <laughs> you have a different metric? Uh, no, it, 
I think I, some some people understand it for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know how many feet that is the average height. Um, but you know what I want to say. So you have uh, you have this mean. Uh, I would say around the meet a uh, meter and eighty. Uh, so, so that's the average man. But it means there are a few that are quite much taller, and there are a few who are much smaller. And, and and the same same applies to efficacy of drugs. So the mean effect is um, quite uh, small, uh, but it means in the end in a in a that for the majority of patients it's a, a rather a minor uh, benefit. But there may be a few who have a large benefit. But on the other hand, there are also a few who have uh, no benefit at all. Rather, indeed, for these persons, they they were damaged uh, by the drug. So that's also a point that we have to admit that sure. it's not always helpful, even though it may be helpful for some, for, for others, it's not helpful at all. They would be better off drugs. So, um, and, and I think that's important, this method, that you tell this to the patients. And, and then, in, because we don't know if you could say with these and these characteristics, and um, let's say if you are, uh, you have these and these uh, constitution or whatever and I say constitution but it's like a predisposition right for you the drugs would work well if we knew that would be a great thing because then we will only prescribe the drugs to to the people who we know that they have a huge benefit but this is not the case because we don't have any single factor that is actually predictive whether the drug works or not. So in the end, it's just we, we prescribe it to everyone and it's more like trial and error. And we hope that it works well, but we don't know for sure. And so uh, that's why it's important to to um, to give a clear, uh, a realistic expectation and that would be the mean effect. So that's why um, I think it's important to, to state that the mean effect is rather small, but in the end, it, it can be useful for some and it is not for others. And uh, But I don't want to recommend who should try a drug. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and it does feel, what's most interesting to me too, it, it feels like there is a war over this, especially on Twitter. And I think everything gets enhanced because of social media, because everyone's a bit disinhibited and there's not this face-to-face interaction. Um, and a lot of people, if they ask a question or if they, you know, even criticize a bit, uh, they, people are called anti-psychiatry or pill shame, pill shaming. And these are throwaway lines. They're sound bites. We hear them over and over again. And it feels very tribal when everyone should be just trying to provide the best care, um, inform the patient as much as possible yet it it feels like two sides like tribal and what are your thoughts on that like how do you think this will resolve hmm. now good question because i wish i knew uh, just <laughs> yesterday i entered in such a terrible dispute with an um, it's an Amer- it's, it's it's an american professor um, assistant or associate professor from i think from well i, I do not want to to to, to sure. name it, but and, and he just posted a message, just like um, calling out fake news and um, whether every time someone says that antidepressants are not highly effective, he's a liar and that's fake news. And 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 I replied to him and said, why do you call that fake news? Uh, it's just the best available scientific evidence. If you look at all these. For instance, there was this 
almost a year ago, this the, the, the most comprehensive meta-analysis ever conducted by Cipriani and colleagues. It was published in The Lancet, the number one outlet for medical research. And, uh, and, and he, he, they were... It, they plainly stated the average drug effect, in, and that was only in, uh, in, uh, in trials with moderate to severe uh, depression, uh, was modest. So it, it was plain, and it was obvious that it was a small effect. It was just about these two to 2.5 points difference in the Hamilton depression scale. And then comes this guy, a professor in psychiatry, and says, the drugs are much more effective than placebo, he said. That's what he wrote. And everyone who does object to that is uh, anti-vaxxer and fake news. And then he, he tagged this anti-vax thing. And I always wonder, why do people make such tags? <laughs> I, I'm not an all an anti-vaxxer, but I, I hear an overflat earth <laughs> believer. That's not a stupid thing. <laughs> if I say that's not true, the scientific evidence says that on average, the, the, the drug effect is quite minor. Then suddenly they, 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 they call me anti-vaxxer or flat earth believer and it's just ridiculous. And, and, but I, I don't know because I, I try to, to argue with them politely. I'm just, I see that I'm, on Twitter. You're so polite and very <laughs> professional. And you know, I'm, I'm like a Taurus. I'm born in May. I'd be like, I'm always like, well, get in there and fight. But it's stupid to fight because yeah. it's... I it, always think that you people listen, they just listen or they will accept that you have a different opinion if you say it politely and decently with mutual respect. If you yell at people, because that's another problem, if you yell at them and you say, oh, stupid bunch of psychiatrists, there are people who do that. And, and I, I, I disapprove it because uh, of it because first, it's not true at all. There are a lot of great psychiatrists yes. in the world. And, uh, and, and then calling uh, people uh, stupid, um, it's just... Actually, the dad would be a stupid thing. So I try to be polite and, and, and respectful. So I, what I mostly do, I say, no, in my view, it's wrong. Uh, scientific evidence says otherwise. And I, I, I post links to these meta-analysis, um, uh, to these uh, papers, scientific papers, this most comprehensive meta-analysis to demonstrate it's not just my personal opinion. There, <laughs> That's the scientific evidence. Yeah. And, and um, but then it, it suddenly it, it quite quite fast it turns into uh, a very nasty dispute and sometimes I just I yeah it makes it makes me sad because you see that people they they well I don't know they have their preconceived view and um, whatever you tell them even if it's very politely and if you say but look at look at these papers it's not true the, the latest meta-analysis says it's just a very small effect and then they they call you a liar they say you're anti-vaxxer they say you're flat earth believer so i don't know how we could change that maybe you have an advice i don't know oh, have you seen our political climate in america yeah right yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the same climate on twitter yes yeah, it's, the, it's the same climate it's, very, it's, it's yeah. i always say twitter on twitter uh not only are you limited by 140 characters so you have to be very careful with how you express a thought yeah because right. it can be so easily misconstrued, but you are reduced. You're, you're essentially reduced to your tweets, even though you're a complex person with, mm. you know, nuances and ideas. And I always say, if one thing we can make great again, I hope it's nuance. I hope we can bring back like nuance and our ability to, uh, 
digest something in a very calm manner and not be so defensive about it. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, and I think there are people on tw uh, Twitter who feel they've been harmed or they've experienced withdrawal symptoms from antidepressants and they weren't informed of this. So they're angry. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And no, I, actually, I, I did not want to to offend these people, of course, because it, their anger is understandable. They they call themselves yeah. the, the prescribed harm community, right. and uh, it's a huge community. It is. Uh, it there is. are there are really there are hundreds. I would say f thousands. Big, 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 uh, worldwide would be much more than thousand, probably millions worldwide. But um, um, the people that I and uh, engage with me or. Or text me. Uh, that, that's, I would say they they number hundreds, and and, and they have uh, terrible stories to tell, and, and and they were often their view or their experience was not taken seriously. It was denied. Even always yeah. was always said they, the, the 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 whole theme was always not true. Um, that has nothing to do with the drugs. It's just your illness. It's your because you are sick or whatever. And um, and they they always they are dismissed. And and then of course they are very angry against the profession. And sometimes of course for them because they were hurt, they, there's a lot of understandable anger. So of course I understand that they are angry. Um, personally, uh, um, fortunately, I, I never had. Um, such an experience um, with these kind of drugs, so I, I cannot speak from my personal experience. But and, I, and I, I did. I was I was prescribed an antidepressant when I was in medical school, very fast. And but I always try to keep that in mind. Like I had a negative experience. That is my bias. But mm -hmm. don't but don't let that cloud. You know someone else who says these are working for me, I certainly would never be like, oh, well, that's not working for you and you shouldn't take that. Um, right. and, and that's just kind of being mindful of my own, you know, or my experience is certainly going to uh, shape how I, I approach things. Um, mm -hmm. And there are some psychiatrists I, who are trying to um, understand pe people in the prescribed harm community and learn more about it. And um, shout out to them because I think it's it's great that they're asking questions. What yeah. what I re I really hate when I see people uh, tell the prescribed harm community, "Oh, you're dangerous. You're going. People are going to stop taking their medications." I don't think there's any proof of that at all. That if no. right, if somebody says, "I you know I've had a negative experience and why didn't I know about this?" and uh, I I don't think other people who are safely prescribed or taking their medication are going to stop <laughs> no i don't think so no no, no in the end look if th that's twitter it's a it's it's public sphere so uh of course people will tweet about everything that comes into their mind so if you don't want to hear what other people have to say about a topic then don't go there because of course uh, there will be a lot of people who don't have just made very uh, uh, a good experience with antidepressants. So, um, but of course, uh, if you think that you're doing harm because you you're transparent about your bad experience, uh, so probably then it's better not to listen to these accounts. Uh, but you shouldn't silence them because medicine it's 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 about first do no harm. So, and if there are so many accounts or uh, people who experienced harm, I think as a, I, I'm not, I'm not a medic, I'm, I'm, I'm a psychologist. So, but um, you, you, you have to listen to it. Right. That, that's, that, that's your ethical 
um, I would say your your creed or credo. You say that creed. Your uh, uh, imperative, yeah, like an ethical imperative that first do no harm. And, and so yeah. please take a time and listen to these people because they have to tell you something. And if yeah. you don't listen to them, then of course they 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 get angry. They are frustrated. They are dismissed. They are denied, neglected. And that's why some start to yeah to to to. Get more and more angry. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And Twitter and social media has been great for people uh, in the prescribed harm community because they're finding each other, and it's really the a way for them to share information. And uh, maybe that's problematic to how things were always done. You know, that was sort of always people were kind of just walking around, not really knowing what's going on with them. So it is great that they can connect, um, and hopefully two sides will come together and start listening to each other. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. know. If I don't know if Twitter and, and do no harm go together though. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can be quite distressing. I have to say I will limit my Twitter time in, in the future because it, it the, 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 it the sucks whole... you in, it pulls you in and you do. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, yeah, and the whole thing yesterday, this hugely distressing dispute with this, um, professor that that was it, i really i felt terrible afterwards and i said why why i'm doing this because i actually have good intentions i i i do this because i think you should always be as objective and transparent as possible and you should not selectively report just the results that favor or that confirm your pre preconceived view so that's why i always really stick very closely to the scientific evidence but when it turns out in such or it ends in such angry uh, debates, then then I don't know uh, yeah. why I should proceed with with such things. And the best care for the patient should just be everybody's goal. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Maybe we'll get there one day. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, Michael, uh, I know you're you're on ResearchGate. If anybody wanted to read anything that you've written, where would, where could they find you? Well, exactly on ResearchGate. <laughs> ResearchGate. Okay. I didn't, know if you, <laughs> I didn't know if you had your own website yet. You should, you should be like, yeah, well, because most of my research is the posted on ResearchGate. Okay. I don't and, know. So, but you have to be a subscriber. Yeah. Yeah. But it's do. just, yeah, you just make an account and then um, you can um, have a look at these papers. That I, I'm allowed to share because that's another problem now because uh, many papers you're not allowed to share in public. So you go to ResearchGate, um, just look for Michael P. Hengartner. P is for my second name, Pascal. So um, oh. it's Michael. It's, because there's another Michael Hengartner here in Zurich, a very oh. famous professor, a biologist. He's the dean of the University of Zurich, you know? Oh, wow. And his <laughs> name is Michael Hengartner. So, <laughs> like, like, the same name, actually, as I have, and I was at the University of Zurich before, so there were two Michael Hengartners, just that he is, uh, he was uh, in the lab of a Nobel Prize winner, and just, I was just a little, uh, a small uh, research associate, <laughs> but that's why, that, that's why I had to, to, to add my second initial, of my second name, uh, the P, that's why I'm Michael P. Hengartner, not because I have a, this kind of attitude, and that makes me special, but there's the <laughs> other Michael Hengartner here in Zurich, so... <laughs> and people can find you on Twitter, of course. Yeah, they can find me there. <laughs> and, um, 
<laughs> just go there where all the people are yelling. Uh, That's just... where the action is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you if you have a bunch of time to waste and just get into it, and uh, it's a thief. Yeah. It's such a thief of time. Uh, <laughs> of times, yeah. Um, anyways, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your insight, and uh, I look forward to sharing this with uh, my readers and listeners. So. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a very pleasant talk. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, tell your friends, consider subscribing. I do have a lot of cool guests who are confirmed for upcoming episodes. And also, if you have any ideas or topics in the realm of causes or cures, uh, let me know. I love to feature all types of people, um, all different perspectives. So just shoot me an email, erin at bloomingwellness.com. And of course, you can visit bloomingwellness.com and check out my blog, um, our wellness store with our Zen bands. And um, you can also go to our Instagram account and see cute pictures of Barnaby, my dog, and our mascot. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. And until then.